welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Osmond, a biblical church centered on Christ. So go ahead and turn your mind this evening here to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 34. We here are going to look at Moses' radiant face. Moses is, has been in the presence of God, and then we're going to see about how Moses here how he experienced the glory of the Lord. When you are in the presence of God, your face should show that. Folks shouldn't see joy because you know Jesus. I know that's a cliche, but there's truth to it. Folks should see someone, and I want to tell you the best way, I want to tell you what kills Christians' witness so much is a negative nil attitude. Debbie Downers, complainers, you have killed your witness if all you do is going around griping and complaining. And it's just, you know, folks don't want to, folks don't want to be around that. It's, it's, not, it's not encouraging. And lost people, that does not make the gospel more attractive to them whatsoever. So we're going to see what happens when Moses is in the presence of the Lord. Verse 29, it says, we're in Exodus 34, verse 25. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai, remember this is number two. Remember our first trip, we came down and it didn't go very well. We had a golden calf, we got upset, we threw the Ten Commandments down, they broke into pieces, Moses grinded it up, put it in the water, made the Israelites drink the water. And then Moses wanted to quit, God wanted to kill all the people, he just had a lot of disaster. 3,000 people died, it didn't go very well. With our first set of Ten Commandments, uh, Moses was frustrated, he saw actually the glory of the Lord. They put him in the crevice. That was last Sunday night sermon. God showed his back. Other than Adam and Eve, like I shared this morning, the only person who's actually seen God is Moses saw a small gl glimpse of the Lord from the crevice in the mountains. As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of his speaking with the Lord. He did not know there was a glow on him. He didn't, he didn't grasp the fact that his face was radiant. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him. So they don't, he doesn't understand. Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. So Moses is giving God's instruction, God's command to him. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. I'm going to explain this veil here, because this veil... Uh, it signifies the old covenant, signifies that there's a, that we see God in many ways from behind. I'll tell you all what it is. The veil is the Old Testament. Moses saw God. Moses is radiant of God's glory. Moses is giving the, 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 the uh, two tablets, the foundation of the law right here, that will propel the rest of not just the New Testament, but the rest of all, of, in many ways, Western civilization. Our nation is based on these Ten Commandments. 
Our Western culture, not just here in America, but in Europe too, it has a Protestant, Catholic, biblical influence. We're not based on Buddhism. We don't have a Hindu culture or Hindu background. There is an underlying in American and European culture of this law that Moses received. People here are taught right from wrong. They know, thou shalt not steal. Well, I say they know, they might not know, but it's, it's, it's based in every area of our court system, in the law, in policing, and you're instructed of what to do. I'll give you a perfect example of a, of a culture that maybe it's not based on that. And I once heard some IMB missionaries sharing about ministry in India. India has over a billion people. India has a Hindu, Hindu culture. What they do, they burn their bodies in this river called Ganges, I believe is the river there. It's in that Tibet, Indian, northern India re- region. And they believe it's holy. So they, they will take a dead body and go burn it and basically offer up that body to a god or to a pantheism, multiple gods. You do not see that. And in, in there are, there, there's just, it's tragic. You just have bones, all sorts of things in the river. It's, it's, it's human waste all through there, human lives. That is not what people in Europe and people here in the United States do. We have cemeteries. Other parts of the world, they don't have the cemetery system that we have. You can look at how people treat the dead in many ways see what culture they're based on. And here in the United States, as well as Europe, you see a respect for the dead. We talked about this this past Wednesday night, how people bury the dead. That comes from the Old Testament. Jewish people buried the dead. That's out of Deuteronomy. They showed their respects. You did not leave a corpse hanging on a tree. Jesus was not to be left up there overnight. We think that way because of the Bible. We should think that way. Other cultures do not necessarily think that way. You're, 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 in their mind, you're returning back to Mother Earth. Their remains, I guess they would say. And honestly, with cremation, that is somewhat changing here in America with the, uh, um, with the acceptance of cremation. So we see here, Moses is coming down, and he's sharing about the Lord's command, these tablets. And this veil is over his face, showing that it's only a glimpse. Because the Ten Commandments, what they're receiving here is not the full law, the full command of the Lord. It's showing the future of what's going to happen. And that will ultimately be fulfilled. That veil will be lifted in Christ. When Jesus died, the temple there, that veil that covered the most holy from the, which is where the, the Ark of the Covenant was, or it was supposed to be before it got burned down. That was where they would go once a year and make their sacrifice on Yom Kippur, which is uh, the Day of Atonement, which is in September, October, versus the holy place. That temple tore in two. And it says here, whenever Moses went before the Lord God to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites, 
what he had been commanded. So Moses, basically, this veil was to be um, signifying that I have been in the presence of the Lord. His face was radiant. And the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. It, It was shown brightly. Then Moses put the veil over his face again and went to speak with the Lord. So while he was speaking with the God, he had this veil so he could not see the Lord. Because remember, he was told, you cannot see my face and live. So he was somewhat shielded from seeing directly the Lord. Moses spoke, the Bible says, to God face to face, just like a man would speak to another man. Only person in the Bible we see this. Moses had an extremely unique relationship with the Lord. He went into the most holy place, attended a meeting, and regularly spoke with God. All right, flip over here to the very end of the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. This is about the glory of the Lord. You say, Pastor, what happened? Why don't we skip over all these other chapters? Moses, much of Exodus, much of the, the law that he received, the law is, I believe, it's 640 commands that Moses received. So not only were there two uh, stone tablets, but there was a long list of other items, the instruction for the Lord, how to build the tabernacle, how to make a table. Everything that was there in the sanctuary, the temple, had specific instructions how to be built by the Lord. God had an architectural plan. And we, just, we don't run to Walmart and grab a table and say, I think this table will look good in the sanctuary. They didn't, decorate the ta- they didn't decorate the sanctuary themselves. It was decorated based upon what, how God wanted it decorated. So we come here, the very end of Exodus here, and we, uh, we receive instructions. The cloud covered the tent of meeting. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, so the presence of God has come down. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The tabernacle, remember, is the portable uh, worship center. That was the place where they would meet with the Lord. Tabernacle uh, in the tent of meeting, that predated the temple. Then we get to the, after the temple was destroyed, then came, then came Jesus, the presence of Jesus. After Jesus, then came the church. That's us today. So what we're worshiping in tonight is a continuation of what we're seeing here. God's presence was right there. He's filling this tabernacle. And he goes on to say, verse 36, The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle. Throughout all the stages of their journey. So they're showing the direction of how God is leading them along. God's leading them with the cloud. The cloud would move. That would tell them where to go, the Israelites. It was a visual sign of the Lord's leadership. Our cloud today is our Bible. That's why it's so important in our lives that we know our Bibles and know God's plan. Just like this morning I spoke about how God gives us favor when we follow His instruction. We follow the Lord's command, the Lord's instruction, and He blesses us for that. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, 
And there was a fire inside the cloud by night. So at night the cloud was on fire. Visible, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. So we see here that these folks were being led by the Lord. They had a visible sign of the Lord's leadership. And I think for us, we, we come to church, we want to experience God. We want to see the Lord, obviously, answer our prayers. We want to come into His presence. And I think there's some signs we see. I want to bring a, a, attention. There's two more scriptures tonight I want us to look at for this. Turn your Bible to Psalm 34. Because Psalm 34 also talks about this. David wrote this. He's writing here. He says, if you start in verse 1, verse 1 tells us, I will bless the Lord at all times. Praise His name always will be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. God answers and he hears our prayer. I want you to look at this. <clears throat> Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. Those who look to me are radiant with joy. That picture there of your face, of how you look to God. We as Christians, we look to the Lord. We see the Lord and we have a joyful attitude. And God sees that and He says, because you've looked at me, you're not going to be put to shame. You will not be let down. The Lord's hand, the Bible says, is not too short to save. Folks, in our personal lives, do you, know, do you know that your actions, your attitudes, that is the number one qualifying thing that people look to to see whether or not uh, they're going to um, listen to you, accept your invite to church, listen to you about the Lord. People should see your relationship with the Lord, before you ever even open up your mouth, you have literally killed or accepted the fact that you're a yes or a no before you say a thing. I'll give you all a perfect example of this. As you know, um, if, anyone gets a, if anyone applies for a job, this is how it works today. You go anywhere in the United States and you apply for a job. The employer, do you know the first thing they do? Say, they get your name, they get your resume, you apply online, they immediately, before you even have spoken to them, they go to your social media accounts. Right off the bat, first thing. Number one thing. First thing they do, they check you out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. Maybe on TikTok too if you're young. And they want to see what type of person you are. By the time that person emails you, by the time that person calls you, 
They already know basically about everything you believe. I know that because that's what I do here. That's what everybody does. Sherry says at the hospital where she works, that's how they, they basically check people out, just like that. You've already been profiled before you even hear for them. The grocery store does this. I mean, everyone literally does it. Because you want to know, okay, what someone says on paper, what they write in their application, what their so-called recommendation came through, I want to see if it actually max, matches up with what they present themselves and what they talk about, how they talk online. How, I mean, it's free public knowledge. It's not like it's a secret. Anyone can see it. You can't get away from it. And I think for us as believers, how on earth can we be Bible-believing Christians who claim we love the Lord, He's first in our life, yet, folks, if our life, if, if, it's, if it's not filled with joy, if it's negative, if it's discouraging, if it's vindictive, if it's, if it's something that's just a Debbie Downer in how you talk, you have lost your witness. Lost it. We don't gain people to Christ, win people. This church will not grow talking about politics. Because the moment, if you're a politic church, the moment the preacher stops talking about politics, those folks will leave. If you've come here for politics, then when the politics runs out, you go to the next place for politics. Whatever get the people here originally is what keep them. And if we want to be a body of believers, when it says here in verse Chapter Psalm 34, David says, Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Broadway Baptist Church seeks and desires to be a church that looks to Jesus, that has radiant joy, and people are attracted to that because of this, the large amount of negativity and toxic culture all around us. Their faces, God says, you will not be ashamed. Meaning, I won't let you down. You look to me, I'll give you joy. You know, so much we sing about joy during Christmas times. Joy is something we receive from the Lord. And it's named as child joy. Because you want that overflowing sense of peace and happiness that I received from the Lord. Alright, last scripture here this evening. Flip over a New Testament book. Of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here. Unfortunately, this chapter typically only gets read during weddings. A lot of folks don't read 1 Corinthians 13 at church because it's too lovey-dovey. And it's one of these things where a lot of men don't teach out of it because it's something you want to, you wanna, it's like poetry. It's something that you, you say, what do, what do I say to that? How do I respond? But what, he, what he's going he's gonna to give us a picture here. Paul is writing this. But he's going to talk about how we see, he's going to pick up on that idea that Moses, not idea, Moses only saw a, a veiled view of God. He only saw part of the big story. In our personal lives too, that's, that's a lot of times we don't know the 100% will of God. We don't know his plan and purpose. But we do know maybe half of what he wants us to do. We don't know how it's going to end. We might know how it's going to, be be going to begin. He's leading us down a road. He's going to say, this is where I want you to do. You trust me along the way. So I want you to look at this here. 
Now, going back, I missed this here. Going back to uh, people check out uh, on job searches. Do you know people, before they come to church, do you know what they do? Before anyone sets foot in this building, 100% of the time, I could probably say maybe not quite 100, maybe there might be a 99%. Every person that has come to this church has first visited us online. Do you know that, David? They listen to us. They listen to sermons. They listen to me. They listen, they listen to music. They look at pictures. They, and they don't want stock photos. People want real-life pictures. Everybody knows a fake photo. The, 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 the model in Australia. That you, you don't see that person. And, and I think what happens, mentally people are looking, okay, are these folks happy? Do they, is the choir smiling? Does the preacher preach with passion? Does he show he wants to be here? Does he live his life that way? Does what this man says behind the pulpit actually live out in real life? Does, does his personal pictures live up to this? Folks are just, it's just constant. They're evaluating, does they, do they represent joy? That authentic relationship that folks desire look what it says here first corinthians chapter 13 verse 8 verse 8 here it is love never ends but as for prophecies they will come to an end as for tongues they will cease as for knowledge it will come to an end meaning there's going to come a time where this stuff won't exist for we know in part and we prophecy in part see even paul's saying you don't even know the full prophecy. You don't know the full story of what God wants you to know. God gives us glimpses. He puts us in a crevice. He only wants us to know a partial reasoning for why. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I put away childish things. Now some of you say, Pastor, my children never did that. My children are grown adults and they still act childish. What he's talking about here, going back to the Kroger illustration this morning, you expect 12 and 13 year olds to act silly and goofy. They're middle schoolers. They're going to do silly things. It's normal to run through a store screaming when you're 12 or 13. That's just what you do. But if you saw a 47-year-old man running through the grocery store screaming, acting like a child, you're thinking, okay, is there a bomb? Is something going on? Like, what's, what's going on here? You just, you expect it. The Bible's telling us there's a time to act like a child, and you expect that. A baby's going to cry. Children are going to steal candy. You bake some cookies, some Christmas cookies, they're going to go missing at your home. And you kind of expect that. Why else would you bake them if people aren't going to eat them? That's what's going to happen. But what happens is adults get to the point where you put this aside, and God is saying, here comes a time spiritually for people to grow up. What it means to grow up is you start taking accountability. I want to tell you, this is why a lot of folks don't get saved. Because they do not take accountability. You see a 53-year-old man who is the most selfish person. He spends all the money and his time how he wants to spend it. Doesn't invest in his wife. Doesn't even care about his children or grandchildren. 
He's going to do, go to the lake, go fishing, go hunting, go running, whatever he wants to do, he's going to do it. And he wonders why his family life around him is crumbling and why there's no interest in his home for the Lord. And I want to tell you, he wonders. That woman wonders, the grown woman wonders why God is answering and moving in her life. Because she's living a selfish, childish life. Children are selfish people, they live for themselves. The older you get, the less you need, the more you invest in others. Because you don't need anything. You've, got, you've done it all, been there, done that, got a t-shirt. Got too many t-shirts, I don't need more t-shirts. And you realize my life is now a life of accepting responsibility and helping out, investing in other people. That's what Paul means here. You put aside your childish things. This is why Moses was so frustrated with the Israelites. Because he, they have a law from God. God has done miracle after miracle. Delivered them out of slavery in Egypt just a few months earlier. It hadn't even been that long. And they're already desiring to go back to slavery. Go back to a wicked place. And God is saying, I'm bringing you a promised land. I even killed off all the Egyptians. And you want to go back to that? Why? Child, childish adults acting like ch children will send many people to hell. A Christless eternity. Because they do not take responsibility for their actions. So that's what he's meaning here. He said, you put away this childish things. For now, here's, here's about the reflection. This is about the picture of God that we see. For now, we only see a reflection in, as in the mirror. But then face to face. Now, I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Bible saying, you only know a picture here. It's like a broken mirror. God's not going to give you the full story about why you have cancer. God's not going to give you a full story about why you didn't get married or don't have a boyfriend or, or you lost your, your, your family fell apart or why this person's on drugs. God, we, we don't know. We live in a sinful world, but we don't know the big story. and We likely won't know until we go to heaven, until we can ask God ourselves. And, and worrying ourselves and wondering ourselves, our lives, that's not going to bring joy. There's some things God has chosen not to, not to give us. He's not going to reveal it to us. And then he goes, he goes on in this section here, in verse 13, last verse of the night. Now, these three remain. He says, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. And I want to tell you, that love, even though we read the Scripture as a lovey-dovey Scripture for wed weddings, for you love your spouse, that's actually not what he's talking about. He's talking about love for God. He's saying you need to have a love for God that is so powerful, even when you don't have the full picture of what's going on, even when it's like a broken glass, you just see this reflection, that is all you need from the Lord. He's saying you no longer need to act childish. You need to accept this is your responsibility. It's time for you to man up. It's time for you to do the right thing. And God is looking for men and women, boys and girls, who have a love for Him. We talk about all the time having faith in the Lord, having hope in God, but God is saying the greatest thing is having, a, having an unconditional love, which is a commitment for the Lord. 
It is the greatest of all. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love one another. Love is an un, unbreakable, eternal covenant that God has made with us. And that's what it is. It's a covenant. It cannot be broken. That's why marriage cannot be broken. That's why our commitment to God, our security, our salvation is eternally secure. Because He's created this. He says, I love my people. God made this promise, this covenant, the Old Testament covenant, the law. It came here to Moses. It came on Mount Sinai. He's saying, you are my people. I am your God. I'm giving you these Ten Commandments and these 640 other laws. A lot has to do with Jewish dietary laws and how to build a tabernacle, but we're not doing that right now. We're not building tabernacle. The tabernacle is now as a church. And say, why don't we follow the Jewish dietary laws? Because in the book of Acts, it says God gave permission. It says you, know, you can now eat unclean food. You don't have to worry about food being clean and unfood. You still need to wash it. Make sure it's nice and clean, but you can eat anything you want to. And what's happening here is God has taken his people, saying you are going to be my people. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be holy. And I'm going to have an unbreakable love for my people. Even though they were wicked in rebellion, God disciplined them. That commitment of love for my people, whom he has chosen, he doesn't break. And he's looking for us, going back to the time of response, he's looking for us to respond the same way. This evening, you know, I preached here tonight on the fact of taking responsibility. And the Bible says it's time for you to put away your childish ways and you respond to God. We're going to have our invitation. Remember last week, we asked you to pray about someone at this service to respond to God. God's brought you here on purpose. God has given this message. You're not going to hear another Sunday night sermon here from me until January 9th. And it's probably going to be on dinosaurs. Was that a joke, David? So, where's your hair? You need to respond to God. It's not an accident the Lord has brought you here. You put away your childish ways and you respond to Him with a commitment that says, I'm here, I'm giving my life to the Lord, I'm following Him, making this my church home, I'm ready to get saved, I'm ready to get baptized, this is where God wants me to be. God is not looking for childishness anymore. He's looking for men and women to stand up like Moses and say, I raise my hand, Lord, I'm yours. Let's stand together. David's going to lead us in a song. We're going to sing, what's our hymn number we sing it? 435. 435. 435. We're going to stand together. I'm going to be waiting down front for you respond to the gospel.